It is indeed a blessed opportunity. We've each been given this Lord's Day morning, this first day of the week, to assemble and to gather in the name of the God of heaven with the express purpose to worship Him in spirit and in truth, to borrow the language of John 4, verse 24. To the membership at Pippin, we're delighted for your presence, each and every person. To the visitors who've come our way, indeed, as Ted mentioned earlier, it's truly our delight that you've chosen to visit with us today. And it's our hope that each of us can be encouraged and built up and edified in that which is the most holy faith. As you may have noted in the bulletin, the title of the lesson today has to do with fishing. And in fact, I entitled it Fishing Lessons. And as you noted in the text from Luke chapter 5, we shall give over the next few moments some consideration to the first 11 verses of that chapter where Jesus Himself gave some instructions concerning fishing. As we do that, perhaps some introductory thoughts might be these. We know in this part of the world at least that fishing is a very common activity. In fact, many of you have no doubt enjoyed many an afternoon enjoying yourself at the lake or perhaps at a pond in which you fished with your children or grandchildren. All the while, as often as that activity and that pastime occurs, it's often a very refreshing, a very peaceful, a very enjoyable time indeed. But isn't it interesting as we contemplate fishing so often in the sacred pages of the Word of God the very occurrence of fishing is used to teach us valiant and vibrant and eternal truths about a very different and much more important kind of fishing. It is with that in mind, as you can see on this slide, fishing also in that ancient day was also very well known. After all, many of the apostles were fishermen, Peter and Andrew and James and John. And that Sea of Galilee was known, and many a family made their livelihood as the men would catch fish out of that sea. In fact, that sea will provide the very nature of the setting and backdrop of the lesson today. You see in verse number 1, as Brother Jeremy read that a moment ago, the closing phrase of that verse is, Lake of Gennesaret. Oddly enough, that Sea of Galilee went by several differing names in the sacred pages of the Word of God, and the Lake of Gennesaret is one of them. The Sea of Chinnereth is another. The Lake of Tiberias was yet another. But all the while, we're still referring to that well-known Sea of Galilee. With that sea before us today, what about these lessons concerning fishing? As we look verse by verse extracting some of the matters found in these verses, might we appreciate that the first verse reminds us of two interesting and valiant points. One of them has to do with bait, and the other has to do with the nature of how that bait is employed. Consider with me some of these thoughts. No doubt, as you were well able to know just a moment ago, our lesson is not primarily about the literal catching of literal fish, but rather... It's about what Jesus acclaimed Himself in verse number 10. Isn't it true that to those apostles, to those gathered on this occasion, Jesus Himself told them, You from henceforth will catch men. And in Matthew 4, 19, Matthew's accounting of this same circumstance reminds us Jesus directly told those individuals that from that day forward they would be fishers of men. Those apostles, those disciples on this occasion were given some noble information about what would be the major work for the rest of their lives. Fishers of men. As you think about being a fisher of men, 
immediately might you and I contemplate the remarkable way that Jesus had to teach about something so common and yet was so eternal. Fishing was something that Peter and John and these others knew well. They perhaps had fished for years of their lives. And yet the Lord could take what was so common and teach truth out of it that they would never, ever forget. He often did that with His parables, didn't He? The sower went forth to sow in Matthew 13, and immediately the Lord took something so common and so easy to understand, and from that extracted truths like seed that's on the wayside soil, and seed that's in thorny ground, and seed that falls into stony places, and yea, that seed that falls into fertile soil. Immediately we notice that you and I should strive to have a fertile heart, a heart responsive to the teaching of truth so that that seed can fall into our heart and bring forth much to the glory and honor of God. At this point, might we at least see this. What was the bait that the Lord had used? Would you note verse number 1 with me again, please? And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon Him to hear the Word of God, He stood by the lake of Gennesaret. The Lord had already begun to have noteworthy success. Individuals were excited, they were eager, they were very considerate to hear something. And what was it that the Lord had been so insistent and so powerful in proclaiming? It says they pressed upon Him to hear the Word of God. Jesus hadn't taught anything else. He, in fact, was not interested in the social customs of the day. He wasn't interested in the doctrine affirmed relative to entertainment, if you will. The Lord had taught them the Word of God, and they still were eager and pressing about Him to hear even more of it. Did you notice this was one interesting time when the pulpit was a little bit different, wasn't it? We're rather accustomed to an individual standing behind a lectern or standing as, as I am this morning. On this occasion, the Lord entered into a ship, and while the crowd was on the shore, the Lord taught them, we can preach anywhere and at any time relative to the examples of our lives and relative to the opportunity that's ours to share with others the unsearchable riches of Christ, to borrow the language of Ephesians 3 verse 8. As you notice the bait that Jesus used, look at just a few of these verses that remind us about the imperative need that remains that way for us even to this day. In 2 Timothy 4, verse number 2, Paul, writing to Timothy, said, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, make full proof of thy ministry, you'll notice that Paul very clearly and very powerfully said, Timothy, preach the Word. The pulpit wasn't to be filled, and the lessons and the doctrine he proclaimed was not to be devoted to social custom, nor was it to be given to matters of entertainment or social graces. Those can't save anybody. But yet it was to be noted, Timothy, give yourself wholly to the Word. 1 Timothy 4.13 and three verses later in verse 16, he said, Continue in them, and thou shalt both save thyself and those that hear thee. Oh, how thankful we can be 
for those men that will stand boldly in lecterns and in other places such as pulpits and simply share that which is the truth of God. As you and I notice that the bait then that must be employed leads us to note one of the statements that Paul affirmed in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 1. Paul had often known the difficulties that come in that ancient day when others were not so interested in hearing the truth. And yet it was in that verse Paul said, Brethren, pray for us that the Word of God may have free course. Paul knew that it wasn't his particular appreciation, but it was only the marvelous message of the Word of God. Isn't that what he proclaimed to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2? Beginning in verse number 1, Paul there said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Three verses later in verse 5, Paul would somewhat close that thought by saying that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the wisdom of God. Isn't it still that that's a needful lesson for us? As we strive to teach others, as you and I seek to be fishers of men, there is one thing that must never be compromised. The bait that we use must be the truth of God. We should live it day by day, setting before them a perfect and complete example of that which would be the will of God. And hopefully in time we can teach them and invite them and discuss with them and help them better understand the obligation they have before the august presence of God. Not only, though, is this matter an interesting one, you'll also notice that there are more things that we can appreciate as well. Verse number 4 brings us to this observation. Verse 4 says, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night, and have taken nothing. The second lesson comes from that latter observation I just read. Peter had had the direct experience. Jesus, you have given us this order to go out and to proceed to fish, but perhaps you weren't aware of the fact we have toiled all the night. We're weary and we're tired. We have fished hard and we caught nothing. They just aren't biting right now at this season apparently. Immediately, might I invite you to notice that there are times when you and I are faced with what we would observe to be fewer responses than what we would wish. As we teach others and as we set before them the example of righteousness and as we have opportunity to invite them to come and be with us, we may well hope that many more would in time take us up on those offers. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it seems they have very much an unwilling and unattentive ear to what we have to say, and sometimes they can even be somewhat mean. But might we appreciate this? Peter had direct experience with having few responses. That didn't stop Jesus from saying, launch out into the deep. Peter, you keep on fishing. Peter, you keep on laboring, and you keep on doing that which I have commanded you. Maybe that you and I could learn a valiant lesson at that as well. It may be that you and I face moments of despair and at least discouragement. 
Sometimes maybe you and I know of those who literally have abandoned their faith. They've given up completely because they became too discouraged. In the midst of all of that, you'll notice some of those in the Bible seemingly at times felt the same way. In Jeremiah chapter 20, we recall in that ancient day that Jeremiah was so harshly treated, in fact, Pasher even slapped him on the face because of the character and faithfulness that he had toward the things he said. In verse number 9 of that same chapter, Jeremiah, even himself, at least momentarily, became so discouraged that this is what he said. Jeremiah 20, verse number 9, Then I said, I will not make mention of Hinnom, nor speak any more in his name. Did you hear what Jeremiah affirmed? This bold prophet of God, the very one who in chapter 1, verses 7 and 9 had been told, Whatsoever I command thee, Jeremiah, thou shalt speak. Two verses later, I have put my words in thy mouth. Jeremiah had been chosen as a special vessel of the God of heaven. And yet, throughout his laboring and his preaching, he had often been required to preach what was very much uninteresting for those to hear. In chapter 7, verse 29, he directly said, This is a nation that obeyeth not God. He directly told them that they were mired in sin, they were unwilling to listen with attentiveness to what God said, and because of that, into captivity they were headed. So in chapter 20, verse 9, in the midst of all this despair, he said, I'm tired of preaching. People aren't listening. No one is responding. But thankfully, he came to his senses. In the last part of that same verse, again, Jeremiah 20, verse 9, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in mine heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not contain. Jeremiah said, I must preach it, because the God of heaven has said so, and this is the only message that can save them. And so it was two chapters later in Jeremiah twenty two twenty nine. he preached, O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. You see, Jeremiah, only for a moment, apparently was his despair a great thing. Beyond that, he again preached in earnestness and in faithfulness. You and I too can appreciate that that despair shouldn't cause us to stop living the life for Christ. Paul could lament in Romans 10 verse number 16, this powerful and somewhat sad statement. They have not all obeyed the gospel. As long as there are still some that haven't obeyed it, our charge is before us to continue to live faithfully before them and hopefully that we can teach them the way of truth. This matter of few responses perhaps brings us to observe that in Revelation 2 verse 10 we are commanded, Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. Peter was told to keep on fishing, and you and I are told to keep on being faithful. That lesson perhaps brings us to another one. What were some of the details about this command to fish? Did you notice verse number 4, the one I read just a moment ago? On that occasion, Peter was told, launch out into the deep. You're not going to catch the fish here near shore, Peter. Launch out into the deep. That's where the fish are. Any of us who have fished for any length of time know well 
that you're not going to catch any fish if you fish where the fish are not. You're only going to catch fish if you fish where the fish are. The Lord commanded Peter, launch out into the deep. Move out into the deeper waters of maturity and appreciation where in fact the fish are to be found. Doesn't that remind us of some of the thoughts at the top of this slide? All of us know well then that day by day, those who are our co-workers and those who are our neighbors, other associates that we may have, they are watching with a keen eye. They know whether we're hypocrites or not. They, by their appreciation, know well whether we practice what we preach. They know very well whether we, in fact, strive to live dutifully toward that which we proclaim. Notice the Lord gave these commandments not only to those apostles, but to us as well. In Matthew 28, beginning in verse number 18, Jesus Himself said that all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you all way even unto the end of the world. Mark's version of that same great commission reads like this, Go unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. You and I have a complete and thorough charge given to us, a charge in which we can touch the sin-sick souls of those that are lost with the nature of the truth of God's Word. And in so doing, we too can be fishers of men. You'll notice that even Paul in Romans the first chapter seemingly began that Roman epistle with those very thoughts in his mind. You remember well in verses 14, 15, and 16 of Romans chapter 1, Paul basically made this interesting comment. He said, I'm debtor to preach it. I'm ready to preach it. I'm not ashamed to preach it. And specifically verse 16 said, Interesting, with such great power, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's at this point I might take just a moment and invite you to, if at all you can, be back with us tonight. Make it a priority. The title of the lesson is Of One, and our text will be from the 17th chapter of Acts. As we develop that lesson then, we will in fact at this point interject a fair number of comments that will help us appreciate better this portion of this morning's lesson. What did Paul mean when he said, Of one are they? And what implications might that have for you and for me even today? Come back and be with us as we study that and sing praises to God and otherwise engage in a faithful worship to Him this evening. For right now, as you think about the example of Paul, here was a man in Acts 14 who was stoned and left for dead. But yet up he arose and went right back to preaching in the very two cities that had just then stoned him. What love he had for the souls of those people. What a keen, compassionate interest he had in their eternal well-being. The very ones that had just cast rocks at him, and yet he now is concerned about them. Isn't that remarkable? Here was Paul, of course, who was interested in launching out into the deep. He knew that's where the fish was. As you and I contemplate that matter, what about the next lesson? 
You've already noticed it near the bottom of that slide. At this point, think about the circumstance relative to Peter's choices. Here was an experienced fisherman. Here was one who perhaps for years had fished the Sea of Galilee. He knew the coastal line. He knew the weather patterns. He knew where the fish were. Would it not have been easy for Peter to say, Jesus, I am an experienced fisherman. I don't need any advice, but thank you anyway. He had fished all night long, and yet here Jesus said, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Think about what choices you and I might have made. How would we have reacted? Would you and I have been tempted to say the things I just mentioned a moment ago? I'm weary. I'm headed to the house for some breakfast. Thank you anyway. You'll notice though in verses 4 and 5, what is it that Peter said? He was told, let down your nets for a draught. Verse 5 ends by saying, nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. That's the next great lesson that I'd like for us to consider this morning. Peter simply did what the Lord said to do. He didn't interject his thinking. He didn't interject his feelings. He didn't interject his preferences. He simply did what God said through the Christ for him to do. Let's develop that thought this way. Isn't it so tempting to rely on what we think? After all, I'm educated and so are you. After all, we have a wealth of experience through the number of years of our life. We've seen the way that things develop. We know how things work. Why not do it my way? Why not do it your way? That is, after all, what has happened in the religious world for several hundred years now. We insert our own disciplines and catechisms and our own creeds and doctrines of men, and we want it done our way. When all the while, Peter simply said, Nevertheless, at thy word I'll let down the net. It requires a humble submission always to what has been declared through the Word of God, doesn't it? And that humble submission perhaps is seen like this. In 1 Corinthians 8, verse number 2, Paul in directness said, If any man think that he knows anything, let him rest assured he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. May we always in humility never exalt our wisdom and our knowledge far above where it ought to be, but in simple, humble submission to appreciate that God is always right. Isn't that what was asked in the long ago? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Genesis 18.25 God is always the perfect one with the perfect answer. That obedience might well also be seen in the number of times that obedience is required of you and of me. Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 8, says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. The last page in the Bible, Revelation twenty-two fourteen, reminds us one last time, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. If you and I ever expect to enter those beautiful gates into that city called heaven, it'll only be on the basis of our obedience to His commandments. That degree of obedience perhaps is seen in the number of biblical examples of those who chose to live that way. 
Noah was told to build an ark, and for over a century he worked hardly on that. Genesis 6.22 simply says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Moses had been given instruction relative to the tabernacle. And for, of course, many, many days that work was ongoing. Yet Exodus 40.16 simply says, Thus did Moses, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. What great examples of obedience, simply doing what God said do, and maybe Joshua would be one more. Here was a gentleman who, very frankly, was given a very unorthodox military stratagem. You march once a day for six days around the city of Jericho. And then on the seventh day, you march around it seven times and the wall will fall. What kind of military strategy is that? It uses no tanks, no bombs, no missiles, no armor. In fact, not even any bows and arrows. And yet, when Joshua did what God said do, the wall fell and great was the fall of it. Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Maybe all of that brings us to some very brief final points to the lesson today about this matter of fishing. You'll notice that we simply need to obey, and that includes the tactics concerning fishing. And when we do, notice what happened in Peter's case. Great blessings followed. The Lord told him that when in fact he did let down the net that he would receive a great draught despite the fact he had caught nothing during the night. When we do things God's way, we shall be blessed just as Peter was. You remember that in verses 7 and following that when he did do what Jesus said, he let down the net and caught so many fish that that boat and the other began to sink. It was a great harvest, wasn't it? We recognize that when we do proceed to do things the way God has said, that He will look favorably upon our efforts, and He will bless us in a very rich and comforting way. We shall know an interior peace of God that passes understanding, Philippians 4, 7. We'll appreciate the blessing of abundance upon our case, that which Paul taught in 1 Thessalonians 5. And all the while, it perhaps leads us to these verses. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, the first 14 verses of that chapter, ancient Israel was told this. Let me paraphrase those verses. When you do what I said do, that is to say, when you in humbleness obey the commandments I have given, you'll be blessed in the field and you'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the day and you'll be blessed in the night. You'll be blessed in the summer seasons and blessed in the winter seasons. You will be blessed because I will be with you. But beginning in verse 15 and continuing through verse 68, he says, If you do not obey me, you'll be cursed in the field and you'll be cursed in the city. You will be cursed in the night and you'll be cursed in the day. You'll be cursed in all the ways because I will not be with you. We may recognize that the number of responses may not be what we would wish, but if we proceed faithful with the commandments of God, He will bless us. And God has truly been so good to so many of us, both individually and as a congregation. That goodness might well lead us to this final lesson. And this one I would use to lead right into the invitation. You notice that there's a statement of personal devotion. After Peter had let down the net, 
And after all those fish had been caught, and just a few hours earlier he had caught nothing, Peter began to realize some things. And I would invite you to notice verse number 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter came face to face with who he was standing in front of. He was in the very presence of deity. He was in the very presence of the one from God. He was in the presence of this great one, and that taught him of his sinfulness. I am a sinful man. The Word of God teaches us so beautifully and also so realistically that we too serve the greatest of all. He is not likened unto a man. He is not likened unto the greatest of men even. He is the great God of heaven. And we notice that should remind us always of the weakness that can be ours, the feebleness that often is the way in which you and I choose to behave. Peter understood his own sinfulness. And in that understanding, he was so appreciative of this one who now could teach him the way of salvation. And isn't it true, Peter was the very one who in later chapters would say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Matthew 16, 18. And he was the very one who preached in Acts chapter 2. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He was the one that had the privilege to say, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. What a great tool Peter became. He was in fact a marvelous instrument in the hand of the Master, and the same can be true of you and me. I believe it would be fair to say Peter became a successful fisherman of men. Are you and I successful fishermen of men? Are you and I successful in our attempts to lead others to the Master? These tools and these lessons we've learned today perhaps can assist us in becoming even better fishermen. In summary to the lesson today, could it not be said like this? We've learned, first of all, about these features. That this was primarily a lesson about being fishers of people, not literal fish. But in so doing, we have learned along the way about these truths. Even if the responses aren't as we would like in number, may we not be discouraged, but may we strive to even cling more closely to the faithfulness of the Scriptures, and in that way God will bless us richly. As you noticed, obedience is certainly the key in all things that we do. And that obedience will redound, of course, unto God's blessings. And finally, our own realization of our sinfulness and our needfulness for the Master. Today, as you analyze your life, and as I do the same for myself, how adequate are you at fishing for men? And how adequate am I? May we pray unto God for His help and His encouragement and His assistance. It may be, though, at this moment that there's one or more in this audience, and you recognize you're distanced from the God that loves you because you haven't yet obeyed the teaching initially of the Bible. You need to hear the word of the Lord, just like they did in Luke 5 verse 1. You need to repent of the sins in your life after believing Jesus to be the Son of God. Confess His great name as a Son of God and humbly and simply be baptized. If we could help you in that way today, why not let this day be a very special and eternal day for you? 
if you have become a member of the body of Christ and have tasted of all the goodness that Christ offers you through it. Hebrews 6 verse 4. But you have walked away from it in faithfulness. You simply are not faithful anymore. Why not come back to your first love today? There's a group of people here excited to pray with you and for you. And God has promised to hear that earnest petition upon your behalf. If we could pray in that way for you today, won't you come down this aisle in a moment? Let us know the way that we can. We'd be very honored and delighted to serve you in the way that would be helpful in your case. Brother Glenn has chosen the hymn of encouragement. And at this time, if we could be of assistance to one or more, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?